podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Buzz podcast. In the words of Rakim, it's been a long time. We are back with a really big one, though. It's all about an extremely controversial film, one that has gripped the world, it's fair to say, in the last 10 days, both in terms of box office and controversy and things written about it. It's the kind of film where you will watch it and have good feelings about it, bad feelings about it, maybe even neutral ones, but you will think about it for a long time afterwards. That is guaranteed. So we just had to do a podcast on it. This is Joker. So in attendance, we have myself, Jessel. We have Nina Kauser and I was going to say Arthur Fleck then, but actually it's Iqbal Muhammad. So how are you both? I'm good. I'm not quite Arthur Fleck though. I hope not. I really hope not. For your sake and ours, actually. Absolutely. And I just want to say, if I start coughing uncontrollably on the pod, I'd just like to apologise. I have a condition. (laughs) Have you got a little card that you're going to show? I think I need to make one, don't I? Oh, dear. Um, well, so anyway, what we're going to do is just skate through the formalities. Um, obviously, it's been a last, uh, been a while since the last Bud, uh, Buzz podcast, but um, kind of, I guess we've all been up to a lot. We haven't really talked about many films and uh, TV shows recently, but this is such a big one. We've come back to it, and let's just go straight into it. First up, we've got a spoiler-free zone. So if you haven't watched Joker yet, then um, then okay, we, we'll give you a little taste of it. Basically, it's a standalone film in the DC universe, but it's kind of like an additional one. It has nothing really to do with Wonder Woman and even really Batman, I guess, in that respect. Um, It's not set in the modern day. It's set in effectively the early 80s. And it's much more of an origin story of the Joker, which is something we've never really had, certainly not really on film. It's extremely dark, gritty, rated R, and uh, it's more of a character study than an actual action film. So if you're thinking... Dark Knight trilogy, the whole Christopher Nolan ones, Heath Ledger, it's really nothing like that. You're not going to get anything like that. It's set in, um, obviously, Gotham City is fictional, but it's kind of like a, a loosely based on around 1981, if, if you can date it. So it's not like a current du jour piece. And it has Joaquin Phoenix, who takes on the role that Heath Ledger obviously gave such a legendary performance in about 12 years ago. Um but it's also worth noting there is no Batman. Batman does not exist in this film as of yet. So if that's kind of something that's piqued your interest, then pause the podcast right now. Go watch the film and um, and then come back to us. But we're going to jump straight in because there's so much to discuss in this film. We're going to go straight into spoilers right now. So you've had your time and uh, and we're going to just assume that you've seen the film now. So I tell you what, first and foremost, let's just have brief thoughts on what you kind of felt after you came out of watching the film. Nina, what did you think? 
I absolutely loved it. I can understand. I mean, I thought it was art. I thought it was an absolutely beautiful film. I thought his acting was out of this world. I loved the direction. I loved the music that they played for him. A majority of the soundtrack was really good. I just loved the grittiness, the dirtiness of Gotham. You know, Gotham has always been perceived as quite glamorous, certainly in the Nolan films as well, you know, where it's all shiny and nice and it just showed a really, really downbeat, depressed, you know, um, deprived Gotham. And it showed another element of it. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It kind of reminded me of like, I'm not comparing it to this. I mean, if anyone's seen things like, um, oh gosh, Daredevil, the Netflix season. And, you know, it's meant to be um, Hell's Kitchen. You know, that earthy, gritty feel. It had that vibe about it. And I, I loved it. And Iqbal, what did you think? I, I just remember coming out just mesmerised by the whole thing. I think um, the whole team behind it spent a very, very, very long time on sort of producing this film and making sure that this film kind of got seen the way it did because I I believe Todd Phillips, who was the director, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix spent six months together developing this character and it just shows Mm. how much time they went in that went into actually filming and getting that character right. But all in all, amazing. Direction was absolutely amazing. Um, I love the cinematography. A lot of people have said, no, that's not that great. It wasn't that great. But for me, it was great because obviously the cinematographer, the director of photography is in charge of the lighting. And I thought the lighting on certain scenes, like where he's 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 alone with his mum, watching TV and you got the you get the blue lights and the red lights coming out and shining up on them and you know the the scene in the bathroom after he's just shot the three men it's like it, it was it was just mesmerizing everything soundtrack great obviously uh, there's controversy with the the Gaddy Glitter song. Yeah, that's why I said the majority of the soundtrack two. was good. <laughs> well, he he doesn't own he doesn't own the song so I mean um he won't get any royalties from it. I mean, that's that's mistaken. Obviously, there's three people you pay um, for a particular song. Um, you've got to pay the producer, the singer, and the company, the label that owns it. So, I mean, I believe, I don't, I believe he doesn't get paid for this because there's no, there was nothing there of his. So, um, I'm not sure. Uh, he but, he yeah, definitely but, doesn't get paid. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it doesn't matter. I thought it was a great film. Um, and I absolutely loved it. What did you think, Jessel? Well, um, interestingly, I went in and watched it with a couple of uh, cousins. Like one is 21 and one is 25. And having them gave a really interesting perspective on it. Because this has been easily one of the most controversial and divisive films in recent memory. Like for sure. And... You know, it did really well at film festivals initially. I think that was before there was any kind of hype about it. And the fascinating thing is, is that film critics have have really been lukewarm with it. And to, or not even lukewarm, to be honest. I mean, like if you take Rotten Tomatoes as a gauge, it's not always accurate, but I think it's around 68%, which is pretty low for something that's getting almost universal praise from a viewing public. And I think one of the things is that... One of the criticisms leveled at it is that it's so derivative of Scorsese's work and other things. And, you know, there's Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, Falling Down, Fight Club, a lot of these films. 
the funny thing is, is that the twenty or uh, the, you know twenty-one year old, twenty-five year old, they hadn't seen any of those films. Taxi Driver was like almost forty years ago. King of Comedy, thirty-five <laughs> years ago. You know, and and they're also you know these are the kind of more niche um, Scorsese films that haven't translated particularly well to this generation you know i mean ask the average person in the street have you seen taxi driver they're going to say no but so they, they haven't seen but, it but and, to be fair the majority of people they're going to know taxi driver surely they they might they, know it but they might not get all these reference points right king of comedy is is more of an overt one and i can guarantee you that in the cinema that i was in that at least 95 percent of the people had never even heard of king, king of comedy basically yeah. and and that's the fascinating thing is that film critics are like zoning in on this they're like oh it's so derivative oh it's the guy who directed hangover blah 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 blah. and they're quite snooty about it and actually if you just can divorce yourself from all of that and just focus on the film and just enjoy the film or or, or whatever just give it a fresh palette then it really works i you know it's not a perfect film very few films are perfect if any but but it was just brilliant i think it was so well done and it was so nice to have something different a, a real deep driving character study mm. of a fascinating character who's never had this before we've always wondered what drives the joker what is behind the joker why is he you know and and in something like the dark knight he tells different stories to different people yeah. so you don't know what to believe at all and here you get like you know even if they say oh it's a standalone it's not really connected blah 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 it's interesting nonetheless and there are so many great issues that it raises which again have been dismissed. The, the one that I found most fascinating was the mental illness aspect, which we'll get into properly later on, because I think it's yep. really worth discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like, we came out of the cinema and I dropped them home and we barely talked because we were all just thinking about the film, just churning over it like constantly. And for the next three days, I could not stop thinking about it. Mm. And, and you don't give much higher praise than that, to be honest, because, you know, even something like Avengers Endgame, loved it, loved the film. It was a great bookmark to, to that whole kind of phase three or whatever but i haven't thought about it much since then i haven't watched it but joker i cannot stop thinking about so for me that's the really fascinating aspect about it um i mean if we kind of get into a couple of points about it like i said before it's not it's not like a traditional batman film because there is no batman there's no hero to the to counter the foil that is it feels strange calling him a villain but really arthur fleck is just someone i mean okay let me ask you this do you think that Arthur Fleck, as in before he turns into the Joker, is actually a villain at any point before he really kind of switches? No. He's not, no. Um, I just think he's, I think society and possibly a lack of opportunity and his, and his childhood. And his condition, yeah. The way, yeah, they've made him the way he is. Um, and that's And that's the reason for it. And because think about it, obviously he has mental health issues. He thinks what he's doing is right. So to him and to a lot of people out there in a similar situation, he's actually a hero. And um, that's why this film, I believe, is so dark, because there'll be people in that theatre thinking, actually, yeah, he is. And so it's a bit of an anti, obviously an anti-hero film, but yeah, I don't think he is. 
No, Nina, because there was really like soft, gentle parts of his character, right? Like you know that that scene on the bus when he was trying to make that kid laugh, and obviously the mother didn't like it at all. And I think most people, have, you know, feel that way with strangers, sort of um, you know, acknowledging their children, you know. But he was trying to be really nice, you know, the the relationship that he had with his mother as well, the way he took care of her and stuff, and you know how caring he was, and you know how he was pretty much harmless at work as well, and that fantasy he had on the movie show when he was talking about how he's the man of the house and how he looks after his mum when I was watching it I was kind of thinking of I was thinking like he's basically a, you know like I mean we knew he had um obviously there were mental health issues involved but he kind of reminded me of Bobby Boucher from Waterboy you know in, in that like just how simple he was you know to begin with yeah and if you, if you think also think about it it wasn't just one thing that made him flip it was a it was a cumulative. It yeah, was, it was absolutely it was continuous epic. all the time. Yeah, whereas when you watch superhero films or you watch films about revenge or something, it's one thing. It's all, yeah, it's like one incident, and but here it wasn't. And they anything. were all horrific as well. You know, like the beatings he took and everything. You know, it was they weren't like oh small. I mean, some of the things were small, but you know, like the beatings. Obviously, we'll talk about what happened in his childhood, but it's been like huge things in his life throughout. People he thought were his friends, like, pretty much backstabbed him, like the guy that gave him the gun and stuff. You know, he's had to deal with a lot. Yeah, and it's interesting that I think there are kind of micro points in the film as well. When he takes that first beating at the beginning of the film from those random kids who steal his sign, he immediately covers his hand over his crotch. Yeah, yeah. As, and, and that's not a reflex thing, right? It, it, that's If you've been beaten up a lot, you know to do that, basically. You know to cover the head or the crotch, whatever. That's that's just a fad. So immediately at the start, you're like, damn, he must have been through this multiple times before. He is one of the down and outs in society who's been picked on, probably from a young age. And as the film progresses, you know, I mean, the, the point I got really emotional was when they started uncovering his childhood. And, and the thing is, is that it's on paper. He, he's not imagining this, you know. There are, there are obviously, we'll come to points where, uh, later on in the podcast, where we're discussing what's real, what's imagined. But if something's black and white on paper, then generally it's going to be true. And, um, and, from from a very young age he must have taken a lot of abuse you know emotional physical abuse like we don't know if it's sexual or not as well and uh, you're absolutely right this is just the straw that broke the camel's back and and in fact there are more there's more than one straw there's the situation with his mother the situation with finding out that he hasn't got a father effectively and um and then there's job situations being humiliated on television all these kind of things and um, I mean, for, for me, I think it's a kind of case where do we have sympathy for Arthur Fleck or do we pity him? Because there's a difference. If you're talking about having sympathy for someone who turns into such a villain, then that's OK. That's dangerous. That's a slippery slope. But for me, I kind of pitied him more. And, and that's kind of what I don't know if it tugged at my heartstrings, but I just felt bad for him. I mean, what did you guys think? I felt for him. You know what? It's, there's a fine line between sympathy and pity, in my opinion, because I sympathise with him in the sense that he shouldn't have been allowed back with his mum. Like, the system failed him. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. For me, I sympathise with him for the fact that he was put into a... You know, he was adopted. He he was, you know, um, adopted by the wrong person. You know, he was abused. And he was thrown back into that same situation. That's sympathy. That wasn't in his control. I just think this is all extremely relevant because, believe it or not, this does happen in this day and age where, you know, the government 
it doesn't matter whether it's a government or a council, they neglect, then, you know, it's neglect basically. Nothing's being done about it, even healthcare. Um, so, I mean, in a way, you do feel sympathetic towards Arthur Fleck. Of course you do. Um, and there was also, but, I'd say there's sympathy in regards to, you know, the funding being cut off and him not allowed to have his medicines. Do you not, as a human being, sympathise with somebody who is not unwell, who's not well, and they need medication and they need help, and that's been taken away from them? As a human, do you not sympathise with that? That is actually going on in the US right at this minute. Mm -hmm. And obviously with the medicine shortages in the, in this country as well. So, um, And with the mental health services taking so long, because um, obviously I work in that particular sector, you know, um, it, it's, it's basically it's, um, it's pretty bad state of affair, really. But uh, OK, let me ask you this. At what point does your sympathy start to wane for Arthur Fleck? Is it once that he's actually killed people and seems to enjoy it or or yeah because at that point up until that point I'd agree that we do potentially have sympathy for him as well as pity but after that there has to come a point where the sympathy fades away and, and was there a point for you in that film where that happened? I think that happens when he shoots Bruce Wayne's parents in my opinion um, but that's what made Batman. Um, I know it's and it sounds pretty bad, but well, I think it's the Waynes made the Joker and the Joker made Batman. Um, so in a way, it's like it was you knew it was going to happen. So I don't know. I, I I just think the sympathy went on for much longer than the pity did. Looking okay. Back. Also, just to clear clear it up, he didn't actually shoot. No, himself. He, no, of course he didn't. But he yeah. had a major influence in that. The copycats. Um, yes. Yeah. Has there ever been an on-screen couple who have died more times than the Waynes? By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel bad for them now at this point. So. You know what I found really strange, though. This is might be a really good talking point. Yeah, you're right about the Waynes, and you know exactly how they die in the pearl necklace falling on the floor. You've seen it so many times, yeah. right? But usually, when you watch like a Batman film or you watch Gotham, the TV show. There's always like massive, massive like sympathy, and the, the Waynes were always portrayed as really good. And in this film, they were portrayed as assholes. Well, certainly, you know that Thomas Wayne. Yeah, he absolutely was. But I mean, it, this is like that that pure capitalist eighties yeah. Ronald Reagan kind of era guy mm -hmm. who has who's detached from the poor. I mean, this is the whole thing. He calls them clowns in an interview, doesn't he? And so that's when they start donning clown masks and. Mm -hmm. There is a massive disconnect between the rich and the poor now and there was back in the 80s, there was back in the feudal system, you know, 500 years ago. That's just the way that it goes. And that kind of inequality is touched upon really interestingly in this film. Um, it, it's funny because like the media kept trying to hype this up. Oh, there might be instances of violence. This might inspire people or copycat killers or this or that. Mm. Nothing happened. <laughs> that doesn't appear yeah. to touch wood. Nothing has happened whatsoever. And, and actually this, it kind of like, there are so many catch, you know, there's like kill the rich, kill the rich. People are sort of chanting in it and there are protests and stuff like that. It's very overt in this film um, about the sort of societal inequalities. And really someone like Arthur Fleck is one of the, the absolute victims of this in terms of his mother is constantly writing to Thomas Wayne saying, we need help. We need help, please. He's a good boy, blah, 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 blah. We just need some money. And you know, alluding to what you were saying before earlier, Iqbal, is that basically you've got someone who's mentally ill looking after their mentally ill mother. And yeah. 
that's crazy but you're absolutely right it happens it happened then and it still happens today and you know that neglect is really difficult to watch on screen actually you know when he's talking with his caseworker and she says they don't care about you they don't even care about me they don't care about any of us basically mm-hmm. and and to hear that from a caseworker is like you're trying to find your drugs or just get help yeah. i mean that's one of the turning points for him isn't it really when he, he comes off his medication i guess and um, and things start changing pretty rapidly after that. I mean, he does kill he does kill the guys before he stops his meds, though. Just to make you aware of that, because he goes into that um, meeting after killing the three guys when they stop his meds. Can I ask you both a question? And this is this is so you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But did you were you in support of him killing those guys on the train? In terms of not, I mean, I'm not going to say did you cheer wildly as if like you know like Roberto Firmino had scored a goal, but like did a little part of you just do a mini little fist bump, like you know, or or was it like no, this is horrible? Right, I'll I'll answer this one. Right, okay. <laughs> first things first. Um, I think you know you're absolutely spot on to say it's a film, so it's like a fantasy, right? You're you're there to be entertained. You're there to watch something, to be lost in a moment. And because it's not real life and it's a film and, you know, most people can differentiate between real life and film and entertainment, from a film perspective, they absolutely deserved it. I won't condone that behaviour in real life. Iqbal, what did you think? Um, I just think, look, this is an excellently written script by Todd Phillips et al, right? The idea of writing a script is to get the audience onto the protagonist's side. It doesn't matter who the protagonist or the lead character is. You need to get the audience to feel sympathetic, you know, towards his, towards him and his character. And I think that's exactly what the writers have done with this. And the fact that they added in a lady in there who was about to be assaulted, I mean, that just added to it. They just wanted to show that these three guys actually aren't really guys you know that you should you'd like in real life so better off dead so i mean it was one of them scenes where yes i did punch the air but obviously he came out of his shell went into the bathroom released all of his sort of energy sort of that you know i liked it i like that scene and i think that's one thing the writers did well with this film yeah, for me, it's one of the pivotal moments of this, well, pivotal pivotal scenes of the whole film, really. You could take that and just extrapolate almost everything you need to about it. You know, number one, there's there's these three, you know, like Wall Street guys who are drunk and, um, you know, harassing a woman. It could have gone even worse, who knows. But because of his laugh and his uncomfortable laugh, he distracts them. They come over, start picking on him. For some reason, the guy knows all the words to a Broadway tune. It's a bit bizarre or whatever it is. And uh, and then they start kicking the crap out of him because he's just laughing again. He cannot control himself. We'll get to the laugh properly when we talk about Joaquin. Um, and and then it is self-defense at no point in the film, even when Robert De Niro is, is kind of interviewing him later on. Um, at no point is it referred to as self-defense. Those guys were kicking the crap out of him. They could have killed him if they you know got him in the head and all this kind of stuff. You just don't know. So the first two he shoots. Point. I think that's self-defense. The third one, he kind of like hunts him down a bit, you know, and I think that's the turning point from when he turns from Arthur Fleck into the Joker and he likes it and it empowers him and he, you know, runs off and then goes into a bathroom and, and starts kind of like this magnetic dancing 
and that's when he really finds himself and then he goes home and has a, a well we <laughs> think at the time that it's happening but it turns out it wasn't when he he um goes to his neighbor's house and uh and imagines having sex with her basically so he's even kind of potentially sexually aroused by this but whatever happens i think the thing is is that there's there's a difference between him wanting revenge and him wanting freedom i don't think at any real point in this film he really wants revenge he just has to remove the limitations to his freedom whether that's these three or later on in the film interestingly his mother um i mean we'll we'll get to that as well um so in terms of like let's just circle back around because i I really want to talk about todd phillips because we've kind of skirted around him a little bit um as a director he's the film critics have been as i said very snooty because he is the hangover guy now i'd like to caveat this because the Hangover is one of my favorite cinematic experiences ever. Like Please. we didn't know. <laughs> oh my god! Like we didn't know anything about this film. There was no hype for this film, and it was actually my sister-in-law's birthday, and she was like, "I don't like celebrating my birthday." Blah blah. I was like, "No, we're going. At least if we go to the cinema, whatever, we're going to go." And it was honestly one of the. We still talk about the Hangover at that cinema and how much fun it was. And okay, we were younger. We were twelve years younger, twelve years more immature, but it was damn funny. That was a hilarious film, and. He did a great job with that. Um, and also from acorns can grow into, you know, beautiful big trees. He's directing this now. And the screenwriter of Hangover 2 actually created and wrote Chernobyl, which is getting all these accolades right now, the, the TV miniseries Chernobyl. So it is fascinating. But what did you guys think of how uh, Todd Phillips handled this? Well, first of all, um, in my opinion, the Hangover has very dark elements to it believe it or not and i think it sits really really well um with this time with the style of of film that he's just made um obviously that's that's a comedy uh, but it does have elements in there you think oh that's it's gone a bit too far there um so i mean in my opinion i thought he did an amazing job it's very very difficult to direct and especially somebody who's very method like Joaquin Phoenix is I think you've got to be a little less hands-on um so I mean I mean when I've directed films I mean I think it's quite it's easy to easy to direct certain actors because you can actually tell them what to do and in this instance I don't think it'd be the right thing to actually tell Joaquin what to do it's just be like go out there and do it and to actually have that trust in an actor I think you've got to have the same dynamic with the director as well. So I think having that dynamic between the actor and director just shows how good of a job he actually did, you know, because he allowed him to be himself or be that character. So um, I just think the camera movement was great. Shot selections were fantastic. It moved the story forward. There was nothing unnecessary in there. Every scene, apart from the rats at the the beginning, um, was you know, was amazing and needed to be there. Um, still don't know why the rats were in there. Maybe that's, um, maybe that'll come up soon. And I don't know, but I thought overall did a great job um, and give him, give him another shot at something else. Um, Nina, what did you think? What do I say after that? The filmmakers just spoken, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll talk about the hangover. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love the hangover. I think it's, I mean, like, obviously, I know very little about directors or 
filmmaking because I've never done it. You know, I just appreciate really good films and I can respect the art and the effort that goes into it. I think one thing that's really impressed me is the fact that he's made that transition to such a, you know, like I know Iqbal talked, you know, spoke about The Hangover having dark elements, but for me, it's it's always been a film that I can watch anytime and enjoy. You know, one of those films that you can just go back to anytime and you can just have a laugh. And, you know, to see a director to go from one extreme to a very, very serious film, you know, like in, in terms of the Joker tackling some, you know, hard societal issues that affect us today and to bring them to light and, you know, to do such a good job in terms of the directing and the, the, the script writing and stuff. I think you have to give him a lot of respect and it just shows maybe just how much he's been working on his craft and just how much he's evolved in those 12 years as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd also just like to frame it in certain elements. In interviews, he said a few things that have really kind of triggered certain sides of the media. Like he sort of, he basically said that he finds it difficult to make a comedy nowadays because I'm quoting him. He said, "Woke culture is killing comedy." And I mean, if anyone's seen the Dave Chappelle special from like last month called "Sticks and Stones" on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, this is what Dave Chappelle also says. In my opinion on that, I've got to say, like, and this might sound controversial, offence isn't given, offence is taken, right? So, I mean, I think for him to say that, in my opinion, he shouldn't have, because if he's got something to say, then say it. There's always going to be somebody there to watch. Of course, people are going to be offended. People are offended by this, you know, so just do whatever you have to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think um, in the end, this isn't the most subtle film, but he's done a great job. It, it's it's a shame that certain elements of the media get triggered so easily, but in the end, you can't really control everything. And the viewing public is really talking with their money and and their reviews and their love for this film. Um, I mean, speaking of which, we ha- have to talk about the central performance. And it really is the central performance by far, because it, this is his vehicle, Whacking Phoenix what a job he's done and if i just rattle off a few of his kind of notable performances over the last 20 years going all the way back to i mean gladiator i mean we could go back to die for with nicole kidman but gladiator in 2001 then walk the line the master i mean the master's not one that a lot of people have seen but it's an incredible film about the basically the birth of scientology um her which is one of my favorite films this decade uh inherent vice and you were never really here so you were never really here only came out like last year or about that's, 18 months ago that's very similar though to it's this very similar that's exactly what i was going to say i mean do, yeah. do you want to expand on that yeah i mean lynn ramsey in my opinion should have been nominated for um should have been nominated for best director at the academy awards but obviously never got one six male directors were nominated and there was an uproar and I, in, my, in my opinion she should have really been nominated for an academy award but that film it's it's so arty that it kind of resembled this and in in sense where he was just a very mysterious character and you're trying to find out little bits about his past and how he got to that got to that stage so i think these two roles Obviously, there were some some elements that were very similar. Obviously, are very different, but very very similar sort of film, film house, art house. Yeah, I mean, just for reference, you were never really here. Basically, he's um, he's kind of like a former assassin, effectively, who lives with his ill mother. <laughs> so it's kind of like the flip side of this 
this uh, this film in, in certain ways um and there are even certain shots which are basically the same it's quite funny but um but it's it's definitely a good film like you're saying lynn ramsey uh, she's fantastic as the director um but he's really been putting in work basically that's that's what you have to take away and he has developed into without a doubt one of the best actors of his generation without a doubt i mean heath ledger did such a great job he was already on that trajectory and um as as the joker he was incredible um but for me you know like i guess a lot of us thought well why do you need another joker after heath ledger um because the other dude did suicide squad and uh, it didn't really work like i don't think <laughs> sorry if you're listening jared but you know whatever um but in the end, this this is just it's kind of like the thing you never knew you needed until it was presented to you, I guess. And I can't really think of anyone else who could have done this good a job, potentially. Nina, what did you think of Joaquin's performance? I was like you, you know, I thought, how do you top Heath Ledger? How do you get better than Heath Ledger? And I remember watching, going to watch this film and I watched it with, you know, a, a good friend of mine. And we were just completely blown away. I think within the first like 10 minutes of just watching him on screen I actually whispered to my friend like he better win an Oscar for this you know that's how I felt that was just 10 minutes in just by just you know the amount of effort he put into it and it wasn't even like you know you speak about him sort of really studying the character and giving him layers it was things like the amount of weight he lost and you know how he looked and just the the facial expressions like you know it, it was just out of this world and Heath Ledger for me People said to me after the film, which performance did you prefer? And they try to compare or, or the, you know, or was Heath Ledger better or was Joaquin Phoenix better? For me, I, I think they were both magnificent in their own right. Heath Ledger was in a film with other characters, so he had to own every single scene that he was in and completely own it. And let me remind you, Heath Ledger was in a film with the likes of Christian Bale, Morgan Freeman and um, Gary Oldman. And he was the standout performer in that film. And, you know, rightly so, he, he made the... And no, I don't think anyone thought he could have... Anyone could top Jack Nicholson because Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholson. But Heath Ledger made that role his. It turned iconic. You know, and then we seen some bad... You know, then we saw the emo version in terms of Jared Leto. I like Jared Leto, but it was a dreadful Joker performance. Then you see a lot of copycats as well. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen Gotham, but season two, they had a Joker in there. And he was a young lad. I think he was like... He was meant to be in his early 20s, late teens. And he just ripped off Heath Ledger and how he spoke and everything because... Because it became such a Heath Ledger role, I think people probably didn't realise how to tackle the role or how do you make it your own... And, you know, Joaquin Phoenix was put into this, like, really good position where we know he's a world-class actor and he was allowed to give the Joker layers and a backstory and a really convincing, compelling backstory. And uh, and I think he really brought that to life. And I think it, it absolutely... I don't think anyone else could have done it or played it. For me, they were both outstanding. Yeah, and there's so many, there's so many layers, like you were saying, Nina. I mean, let's take that laugh for example. Um, the, the laugh isn't just the Joker laugh. This is a central part of who he is, and you know, it, it's not like a, a super villain affectation or anything like that. It, 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 it kind of reveals his his actual mental and emotional state. You know, if he's feeling nervous or if he's, you know, out of sync with everyone around him or, or things like that. You know, and um, and and the, the really kind of like, I guess the thing that kind of gets you is when he starts 
uncontrollably laughing and then he starts kind of coughing and and he's almost choking on his own laughter and and it's just so sad it's just absolutely so sad you know i know we kind of made light of it before when he's on that bus and he gets that little card out and you read it you're like oh man you know i think it's such a clever twist on the whole role because you know as he says later in the film that he thought his life was a drama but it was it's actually a comedy and and actually you know up until that point it is very dramatic and it's incredibly sad um i mean let's talk about the mental illness as well the the, the way that Joaquin phoenix deals with that and all these kind of like subtle cues that he has all over his face like that guy can act in like zonal marking on his face kind yeah. of thing like he's got like diff- it's just incredible i don't know how he does it how do you think the mental illness aspect was handled in this film I think it's um, tackled really, I think it was very sensitive. Um, and I think that's that's what you've got to do when you're tackling issues of this sort of um, calibre. Um, you, you've really got to be, like I said, extremely sensitive with the matter. I mean, I've, I've done films where there's been really um, about political issues and et cetera, and you've got to understand that you can't really you can't tell the audience how to feel. You have to just put everything out there and let the audience decide. And I think they did it really subtly. Um, and that's come through in his performance because, you know, when someone, when you think of somebody who may be schizophrenic, you know, you think, oh, this guy's crazy. But in reality, they're not. They're just normal people who are going through certain aspects in their life that have just triggered it. And I think with this guy, everything has come together and just triggered his schizophrenia. Um, so, I mean, I thought I thought it was done really well. It could have gone one of two ways and it, it went the right way. So I really like that. Lena, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think um, it was handled really well as well. I think as well... Um, was it, um, was it Heath Ledger as well who apparently locked him? Um, he kind of like... Mm. Became a bit of a social recluse. His method. He was method. He actually went in uh, into that character. I don't know for about what, six months before. Mm. Um, Kept a journal so he, and everything, right? He actually he yeah. actually turned a little crazy in in the process of of like trying to portray the Joker. And you know, he, you know, the the two most outstanding performances of the Joker have both gone method. I think. I think Iqbal's absolutely spot on. I think it could have gone really like, oh God, this is not doing any service whatsoever. But I, th- I think they, they held the line just right. I know um, I spoke to Gags about this film and apparently he said um, he watched it in the cinema with his dad. And um, I think his daughter, who who's of age now, she can watch this film. And he goes, people walked out the cinema because it really upset them or they didn't like what they were watching. Or, you know, or maybe it maybe, you know, they're dealing with situations and it maybe it felt a little too close to home. And I completely get that line as well. You know, like everyone's different. Everyone feels a different way. But for me, I, I thought it, it handled itself really well. I I didn't I don't think it alienated people with mental illness. I think maybe that was maybe a, a fear factor amongst people. Maybe like I think you guys touched on it earlier in the pod as well, that there might be some copycats from this film that maybe think, oh, you know what, it's absolutely okay to behave in this fashion and stuff. But, I, I mean, like, for me, I, I, 
I'm not so sure because like I we grew up watching things like Taxi Driver. I I was very young when I watched Cape Fear. He bit a woman's cheek off. You, you know it. You know it. I'm not being funny. That was that that scene stays with me till this day. Doesn't mean I I go out and do it. I I think it was I I thought Joaquin Phoenix was absolutely amazing, and it just goes to show that the two guys who absolutely nailed this role really put everything into it. And I think as well, Joaquin probably had a really as a world class actor as he is, he probably knew that he had big shoes to fill in terms of what Heath Ledger did. And he had to make it as different and as away from what Heath Ledger did as much as possible. And I think there was a lot of like you said, pity and a lot of sympathy for a system that let him down. Well the other thing, I I don't think he would have got away with doing a Heath Ledger type performance. I don't think he would have. Because if you think about this if you break down the script, which is what I've done, he's in every single scene. Yeah, like, you, he is. You, you, he's in every single scene. There's no scene without Arthur Fleck. So you 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 honestly can't copy Heath Ledger. I mean, you wouldn't be allowed to. So the fact that he's got to do this in his own right, or in his own way, should I say, um, is the best way forward and I think obviously it's worked and they've pulled it off great film I tell you what I'm going to jump back to that point in a minute but if we just kind of round off the mental illness aspect of it uh, uh, more specifically I think one of the fears going into this film that people had is that it wouldn't you know maybe it wouldn't be treated sensitively or maybe it would basically be kind of like an out for people to blame his mental illness or say that mentally ill people are going to become you know gigantic killers and blah 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 all that kind of stuff to me, I don't think that happened. I, I actually think they handled it very well. It, it kind of turned into a portrait of someone who's extremely isolated by a system, a society, everything. And and the thing is, his actual existence kind of like makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the really that's the really saddening thing because, you know, there's a difference between mental health and mental illness you know mental health is something kind of like a garden we can prune we can try and take care of sometimes it will get out of hand but you know in general you can try and take steps to manage it mental illness is something completely different Mm -hmm. you know that is something which it shouldn't be belittled and and it shouldn't be kind of like you know say oh you know people can just sort, sort it out no often it's something you cannot sort out and it's something that the other film the other thing that he says is that you know he says that people expect mentally ill people to behave like they haven't got a mental illness you know and that that line you the more you think about it you're like oh my god that's so true you know and, 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 and also kind of, that line with oh, sorry, the therapist as well when she when he goes you don't listen to me you keep asking me do i have negative thoughts all i have is negative thoughts can I, can I also say that is actually one of the questions in what we call a PHQ-9, which is what um, diagnoses mental illness. So we have to ask whether or not a patient is suicidal or is have has thoughts of suicidal, suicidal thoughts or is self-harming. So that, obviously, I thought that line there was fantastic because every healthcare professional will ask that question mm-hmm. when in reality it's a much bigger illness you know not everybody's obviously you know there's a risk of it but not everybody's feeling like that we need to, I mean, need to listen 
And and if you talk about the suicide element, it's pretty overt in this film. There's times when he's, you know, mimicking, like blowing his brains out. He gets the gun, puts it in his mouth. I think his grand plan really was to go on the talk show and blow his own brains out. And he kind of changes his mind, really, once he's there and once he's kind of grown in, into the Joker. Uh, so that is overt. Absolutely. You know, he even says, like, as he's kind of changing his mind, I think he says it to Robert De Niro's character. You know, what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society who abandons him and treats him like crap? You get what you deserve. And and so, like, it's interesting because actually the mentally ill people, people who've got real illnesses, have really connected with this film. A lot of them have. And some have felt overly triggered by it. You know, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. They've just felt it's too close to the bone. Yeah. So it's getting a strong reaction from people no matter what. And I think it was personally, I think it's handled so much better than it's being given credit for. I think that is actually the biggest takeaway from this film for me is how well they handled it. And I came out of that film thinking, do you know what? I need to be nicer to people. Not not in so far as I, my actions would turn them into a supervillain or anything like that. But I was like, you do not know what people have gone through in life. Some people yeah. have gone through some real shit. I think I've gone through some real shit in life, but nothing to that level. I mean, Jesus, Christ, I'm like a fucking one out of 10 compared to that, you know, mm. and, 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 that's what's really fascinating about this film. Um, and then kind of, I, I think one of the other things is um, he seeks help. He does seek help. And again, he's just let down again and again and again. And you, you kind of contrast that with the other people in this film who do let him down. And and it, there is this inequality and it kind of frames the whole thing. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's amazing, basically. Um what about the other... I did want to talk about Robert De Niro, if I'm honest. Um, if there's one aspect about this film I didn't like, it was Robert De Niro as Murray Flank- Franklin. Now, I know he's kind of reprising that. Effectively, he's kind of paying, playing the other role in King of Comedy, the, the Rupert Pupkin role. Uh, no, well, sorry, the talk show host role. Um, how do you think he did? Am I being harsh? I, where I think he kind of phoned it in a bit. Well, I, before we answer it, I want to know why didn't you why didn't you like him? Was it his character? Uh, no, uh, no, it, it's it's maybe it's a combination of the both. I don't know. I, I think the character's perhaps slightly underwritten, but I don't think it was that difficult. I think you could have got many actors to play that role. I feel like it was because it was kind of harking back to Scorsese so much, and it was kind of like the circularity between the, the king of comedy film and this, mm. that they were like, we have to get De Niro in. We have to get De Niro. For me, honestly, I think De Niro's given about two good performances in the last 20 years, and one of those is Meet the Parents, basically. Uh, honestly, I like, if you look look at his filmography over the last, this, this millennium, and he has not been putting in the work. He, you know, he's, he's much more of a dirty grandpa, Robert De Niro, now. Than Wait for the Irishman. Wait for the Irishman. <laughs> Okay, but even if he really does a great job in The Irishman, I still maintain in this, I don't know. I Maybe he was supposed to be kind of like a, a sort of past it cynical talk show host who mm. basically doesn't care. Um, but I just didn't feel engaged by him. And, and it's a minor quibble because he's not in the in the film, like as obviously as much as Joaquin Phoenix, obviously. But, um, but I mean, I don't know. What did you guys think? Am I being harsh? For me, I kind of see where you're coming from. It was a small role for such a big actor. In terms of Robert De Niro, like when Robert De Niro's in something like people do, it does pique interest because he is such an iconic actor. For me, I thought he played the the arrogant TV host prick really well. You know, like smug, you know, self, you know, you know, a little bit self-obsessed, you know, like 
almost like my my shit don't stink, you know. Um, I mean, what did you think, Iqbal? Like, I for the small role, I thought he played it okay. I didn't sit there and think, oh, he was dreadful. I'm I'm just I'm just shocked that Jessel didn't like Dirty Grandpa. To be honest with you, that's a classic. <laughs> no, that's one of his best performances in the last few years, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I think. One of the main reasons is obviously he's such a big name and to be a part of the film, you know, if, if they've offered that film to him, it's because he's such a big name. But then again, you don't expect Joker to kill him at the end. And I think if it was a less of an actor, you might have thought, he, you know, he would have. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know because he doesn't die in many of his films, does he? Um, so that I don't know. That was an iconic scene, by the way. That last it scene was. between them two, my God. Everything came out. Okay, and th- this is another point I wanted to circle back to, the one that Iqbal made previously, is that there is basically no um, scene in the film without the Joker in mm. it or Arthur Fleck. Now, that kind of plays into the what's real and what's imagined in this film, which we have to cover. So do you think that you know huge parts of this film or maybe the whole thing were effectively imagined or, or you know like completely imagined by arthur fleck or do you think it's like just a few specific things are are hallucinations effectively i thought the girl was definitely a hallucination then i got to thinking towards the end did he hallucinate the whole thing and he was always in arkham you know that was the second time i watched it i think it's one of them films that when you watch you feel differently every time you watch it um you know did did he hallucinate you know sort of even killing um Murray, Murray Franklin, um, the Robert De Niro character. For me, the the biggest hallucination for me was probably the the girl, and maybe um, I think any human interaction that he might have possibly had, even to a degree, maybe him killing his friend. Um, sorry, his he, you know, the, the guy in his flat, the one came over to condone about his mother. But for me, I, I don't know. It's hard. And it's quite funny, actually, you speak about, you know, that's a really interesting point that Iqbal made about the Joker being in every single scene. Well, that there's been a lot of people who have said that Joaquin Phoenix was brilliant, but the film wasn't. But that has now just completely shut that theory in a sense that, well, how can you say that? Because he's in every single scene. I don't know about that. I mean, you can remove the central acting performance from the rest of the film and from the script and things like that. I mean, you could say, well, the script was too heavy or it was too derivative or I didn't like this, but the performance was amazing. I think there have been plenty of performances. I mean, you just have to look at quite a few Tom Hanks performances where you think, wow, he's absolutely been brilliant, but I didn't enjoy watching a volleyball for three hours kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, well, it, That's it could... another shock there, Jess. So what's going on? <laughs> No, I liked Wilson, the volleyball, in fairness, but I, I would just not watch it again. Like I've, it, That's like a one-time viewing thing for me. Whereas I think in this, I think I would happily watch The Joker again and again. Like you know, Even like, as I was saying before, Avengers Endgame, I don't, I don't really feel I, like watching I, it again. I feel like, tr- a, like I saw it. Right? It's true. I watched it once and, you know, t- to be done with, in my opinion. I mean, for me, I think the only... I mean, I like... There's a lot of things left unanswered in this film. You're talking about hallucinations and what did he imagine. I'm kind of thinking what actually happened with that girl. Did he kill her or did he let her go because she was nice to him in the elevator? Uh, you know, like there's a lot, like there's a lot of unanswered questions in 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 this film. I mean, I'd like to hear what like Iqbal has to say on this. Did she get into the elevator though? Yeah, 
in the first scene. scene. I mean, look, there's there's a lot of questions, um, but obviously with this hallucinations, I think they kind of cover it at the end. We we understand that he's having them, and I think I think this showed us what we actually needed to know, because I mean, if they covered the whole thing, there'd been no point, and it, that's a sign of a good script. You know, they actually they just drop it in every five or ten minutes and then reveal it all at the end, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they showed us what we needed to know, to be fair. That's all we needed to know. That's all we can assume he hallucinated. Um, but, I mean, that's up for discussion, which is what we're having. But in my opinion, that's what it was. And do you think that Arthur Fleck was radicalised? Because that's been another one of the fears. This could radicalise viewers. I mean, do you think he was radicalised himself in any way? By who, though? And what? <laughs> you could. I mean, I initially thought, no, he hasn't. And then I kind of sat and thought about it. I was like, mm, maybe he was kind of radicalised by what he saw on TV, because like he always had the TV on. And you could, you could say influenced or you could say radicalised, but either way, it got him to a certain end point. It, alongside other occurrences no, I, I mean there's no there's no doubt that kind of when especially when he sees himself on tv and then he sees the reaction of people and the clowns on tv that kind of whole movement and stuff like that i mean would that not at least play some sort of even if he says that i'm not political i'm not interested in that but it, it, it he seems to thrive off it at least in a little bit so you know or you could just argue he's been failed at every turn in life basically mm. I think the whole, you know, when he saw the strong reception he got from all the clown masks and all the rallies and stuff, I think that kind of legitimised him as 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 what he was doing and his actions because there was a more of an air of like there was a sense of like self confidence and like the way he was walking out once he you know killed his ex work colleague and things, you know, there was a different sort of um aura about him and after he killed his mum it was I think for me that the turning point in his career um, in, 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 in his character was when he killed his mum it was almost like he felt li- I don't know a sense of liberation of knowing who he was or knowing what he was about you know rather than always that confusion as to like oh I am you know the world has done me wrong and I you know I, I want to be good and stuff and um, but things just don't work out for me so then I think he fully embraced that this is my past and this is what I was and I was wronged and I'm going to start taking things into my own hands I mean I think in terms of radicalization I think if you actually look at that scene when he actually killed his work colleague you know a normal like obviously he kills one and he has a witness um the the cock the guy with the cockney accent still there and he lets him go because he's nice to him you know he goes you were nice to me and he lets him go now if you and I were in that situation, like, and we just kill someone, there's a what does a normal person do if there's a witness to what you've done? You'll probably. I don't want to say. I don't but, want but, to say but, on the internet you, you, in case it comes back and haunts me one day. But but do you know what I mean? In in a film, okay. In in films, usually there's no witnesses, right? We'll, we'll yeah, talk in in a yeah. film sense. There's no witnesses. So the fact that he kind of sat there and said you were nice to me and let him go, I think for me when I watched it, I don't know how you guys felt, but I, when I watched it second time round, I thought. He could have been saved. He could have been saved. And he, you know what? He was failed from childhood because there was no way on earth she should have been allowed to take care of him again. You know, that's the perfect segue. That, that's who I wanted to talk about next. Francis Conroy as Penny Fleck, um, Arthur Fleck's mother. Uh, I, I think I think this is one of like the, the kind of confusing aspects of this film, but it really kind of is one of 
the key emotional drivers in so many ways. He has an almost Oedipal relationship with her. And like we mentioned before, you know, he's mentally ill and she's mentally ill. He just didn't realize it. And, and it kind of like, there's this real kind of disconnect between imagination and reality with not their relationship, but what's happened in the past because she's hidden things from him. How do you think, um, I mean, both the actress and, and the character were handled? Iqbal, where do we go to um, you? Yeah, I thought she was great. I thought all of the performances, central performances, were really good. I mean, she did a job, in my opinion. Um, just seemed uh, very, very vulnerable right at the beginning. You could tell that he was looking after her, joining her in bed to watch the TV show, you know, that sort of thing. I just thought, obviously, as the character developed over time, we, we started to learn a little bit more about her and her past you know, um, and about what she went through, um, you know, in an abusive sort of relationship. So I think you did feel for her. You felt for her character as well. Um, the line the line that got me was when, you know, they were describing, the detectives were describing how they'd handcuffed Arthur to a, to a radiator and her response was, I didn't know he was always a, he was always a happy child. He said something like that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. wow. I was like, fucking hell, like God, like she thought the laughter was, you know, it was, it was genuine when in fact, you know, obviously we, we learned that it wasn't. So, I mean, it was a very, very beautifully written piece and that scene, like it, it fixed it all together, sort of like, like glue, like it, it brought everything together uh, as to why he was the way he was. But I thought the performance was great. She did a job and um, yeah, that's about it really. She did a good job. Nina, what did you think? don't think I could add any more to that. Yeah, I, th- I thought she was absolutely brilliant. I, um, I thought she, you know, when you watch it first time round, she's like this, vulnerable really caring loving softly spoken woman and but then like a, a line stuck with me you know when she goes um don't you have to be funny to be a comedian like the second time around i watched that i was like whoa that's quite harsh yeah, every all the parents do it though don't they <laughs> you know like I, I i you know i was like whoa you know like cause it's the first time ever that she kind of said something that was maybe out of character for this lovely woman that was portrayed on screen till you find out the truth. Yeah, but she was actually telling the truth because he's not funny. Yeah, he, he doesn't know funny, what but... funny is. Yeah. He doesn't know what he doesn't know what funny <laughs> is. He's trying to work it out. He's trying to write stuff in a book to figure out what is and what isn't funny. And that's obviously portrayed in the end scene. So, I mean, his mum was just looking out for him. Yeah, I also think that much of this film is kind of open to interpretation. And until you actually see something, like I said before, in black and white written down, because basically the whole central thing about Penny is that she, it turns out she adopted Arthur as a baby and allowed her abusive boyfriend to harm both of them. And that has what has triggered so many things about him um, and, and set him on this path effectively. And he didn't know any of this. You know, he must have like buried this deep into his psyche and it happened when he was very young. Um, but, but it's manifested itself continually through his life. And I think, you know, like if I was saying, that was, that was around that time is when I lost it. I, I almost teared up, if I'm honest, because I was like, Oh my God, this is just horrible. You just start imagining all these things. 
But then there's also a whole thing where you don't know if it's true or not, because she maintains a certain storyline all the whole time. Thomas Wayne maintains something completely different, as does Arthur. And um, and it's kind of like it's it's really crazy because, the, again, it's that that juxtaposing between reality and imagination. And you're not completely sure about everything. Um in this case, it is written down as a case for, but then you just don't know. Maybe Thomas Wayne actually kind of manipulated it and fabricated the whole thing and the adoption and this and that and the documentation. You just don't know effectively. Um, all you know is that the outcome is not good for Arthur and that it set him on this really, really bad path. Um, I mean, there are a couple of other characters that we should probably just sort of mention briefly. Um, Zazi Beats uh, plays Sophie the neighbor. So it does turn out that effectively she is well he does meet her in the lift but after that none of the other things have happened until he just rocks up in in her um in her flat and she's like please leave what did you think of her performance because as an actress i absolutely love her basically nina what did you think i really liked her i thought you know like the the little like seeds that she had i thought she was really good um you know when you kind of watch back you know like it's it, you know like when you first watch fight club and then you realize that you know brad pitt is real and it, it had elements of that because she was actually laughing through his, his 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 comedy little segment which obviously we all know he wasn't funny at all and and you know when when she was like serves them right and fuck them you know when um they, they were calling him a vigilante the clan vigilante and stuff he's a hero and all this so you know when you kind of look back at some of the things that she was saying it does make sense that she was all in his head uh, i thought i thought she she was really good i thought you know the the, the scenes that she had she, i mean again what can you really say i felt like every other character played a, a small role in you know in comparison to what what Joaquin Phoenix had to do but the little parts that they had they they pretty much owned it I, I thought she was good you know like there was nothing wrong with her have you seen her in anything else Iqbal by the way do you know I, do you know I don't think I have to be fair uh, she looked very familiar um, on a side note I will say she was really attractive oh she's gorgeous yeah. My God. so basically well, yeah. like where, where I first noticed her was in Atlanta which is Donald Glover's or, or aka Childish Gambino he's done like a couple of seasons of that that was his show so so she was his girlfriend in that and that's where she really kind of blew off and and, and the other central character in that is um, the actor Brian Tyree Henry who plays the most useless file clerk in history in Joker. He's the one who allows like Arthur to actually just nick off with that. Well, first he starts reading out everything, and then he's like, uh, maybe I should stop. <laughs> he's already given away half the bloody thing anyway, and then allows himself to... Anyway, so he's also in Atlanta. So both of them were in Atlanta. And uh, and she's also in Deadpool 2. I don't know if you guys have seen Deadpool 2. Oh, she's, she? Um... Yes, she is. She does yeah. ring a bell. Now, I was thinking then, oh, she's... I... I thought I've seen her somewhere, but I thought maybe I've seen her on a red carpet or something. It makes complete sense. The lucky one, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. She's the one who's completely lucky. And uh, she's actually kind of like half German, half American, basically. So she's like fluent in German as well. It's really interesting. So that's kind of played upon in Atlanta. For, uh, Atlanta's pretty good. Like if, if viewers haven't, uh, if sorry, if listeners haven't actually seen it, it's it's worth your time. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, she, she's fun. She's a really great actress and she's really going places. So she's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um in terms of the, the rest of the cast, I think we've pretty much covered all the main ones. I mean, we could talk more about, we've kind of talked about Thomas Wayne anyway. Um, he was supposed to be Alec Baldwin, but it's portrayed by Brett Cullen. Um, I mean, if we start wrapping up, basically, uh, I mean, Iqbal, we'll come to you 
more specifically for the cinematography and for the score because you are the resident filmmaker what did you think of it i think it, who was it that was it anthony share did the um cinematography yeah. uh jonathan jonathan share was it jonathan share i think um yeah that's right yeah beautiful in my opinion like I, i've put it out there and so so many of my friends are comparing this with the dark knight and i've got to tell them look don't compare anything because this believe it or not is an amazing piece of cinematography and directing and they obviously have todd phillips and and, and Cher must have that sort of relationship together and they have to work on certain things and how certain things must look and i think even though a lot of the scenes and locations were enclosed so lighting would have been a lot easier but the locations and i've got to put put out their locations manager did a great job how iconic are them stairs like i want to find like we need to know where they are because like (laughs) everyone's going to take photos down them everyone's going to be dancing down them you can see so many videos you know what i mean like this is going to happen so i think um all together when it comes together i mean i think the team did a great job and i think it's not just one person it's the whole team and i think that actually shows in Joaquin Phoenix's performance, actually. Nina, what did you think? You know what? It's so nice that we have a comic book genre film. I'm not saying DC or Marvel, but it didn't rely on, you know, uh, special effects and somebody, you know, prancing around in, in a latex costume. You know, it was all about acting and bringing depth to a character and how lucky is the DC universe, if you want to go there, that they actually have such a fascinating villain in terms of the Joker and they were allowed to bring him to life. And, you know, I would never, ever compare this to The Dark Knight or anything. It's just something completely different I've seen. It's a standalone film for me. And, you know, all those things considered, I mean, I've watched it twice now, you know, uh, it's one of those films that I'll watch again and again and again and never get bored of it. Um, and if I was to rate it something, I'd give it like a solid like eight or a nine out of ten because I loved it so much. Same, I'd give it an eight and a half, I reckon. Um, and it might be half like lower or higher depending on the day. Um, do you think there should be a sequel? That'll be the last question for you guys. Nina, what do you think? Yes. <gasps> okay why do you think there should be a sequel because i liked it so much i want to see where else he could go i want to see, I, i'm speaking to gags actually gags yeah you're getting lots of shouts out on this pod um, and uh, you know like apparently they've they've kind of he said they've kind of announced that there's going to be a sequel now because it's done so well in the box office and also they 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 may be looking to maybe merge him into the DC universe, maybe give him like a couple of films with the Batman because the Batman has completely like tanked now. You know, since um, Christian Bale is um, obviously stopped doing them and the Nolan brothers stopped making the films as well. I think Ben Affleck was quite a bad Batman, if I'm honest. So I think it might be a case of them trying to resurrect it. I think for me as well, like if you actually go back to the Dark Knight, the film, they actually don't kill the Joker off. I think they had anticipation and hope like, hey, this guy... We want to keep going with him. He might be the next film, but unfortunately, you know, Heath Ledger passed on and stuff, and obviously that couldn't have happened. But I think maybe they've they've found gold dust in Joaquin Phoenix. Iqbal, what do you think? Sequel? 
No, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, look, this is, in my opinion, over time, next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, people are still going to be talking about this film. In my opinion, it's a cult classic. It will be a cult classic in years to come. Let's not spoil it. Let's leave it for what it is. If you want to do something, do a TV show. Just leave the films alone. I agree with that. I also don't think it makes any sense in terms of era or timing with with whatever they're going to do next. I mean, the next Batman film, I think they've they've killed off Ben Affleck, basically. And it's what Robin, what's his name? Robert Pattinson, the Twilight guy. Yes. Um, And I think Zoe Kravitz is going to play Catwoman and stuff like that. I, I just I just don't think um it fits in with the rest of what dc are trying to do um and and this is a standalone just let it be you know sometimes you've got to know when to walk away as well um and i think this is the point where it could be tempting to sort of cash in but you don't want to dull the effect of of this particular film so um well that's what i think also uh iqbal those steps are in the bronx in new york if you do want to visit them and they're right there yeah i'll probably be going yeah definitely in, in a red suit <laughs> well i think that's pretty much it so um thank you very much once again to nina and to iqbal um give yourself some shouts out iqbal where can uh, listeners find you um can find me on twitter instagram at iq filmmaker and um yeah hopefully got some stuff coming out soon next year so keep up to date with that there and uh, Nina, uh, everyone knows where to find you. Don't they? <laughs> You're like the queen, the queen of Anfield Index. Yeah, you, um, can, you can find yeah. me on AI. I do the post match show. Um, I'll I'll be doing that against post obviously post Manchester United. And on Instagram, I do little videos. You can follow me on there. It's at um you, my my Instagram username is the Nina Cowser Show. So please follow me and support me there because I actually do videos and my face has facial expressions. <gasps> wow well maybe you could star in the joker sequel then like if you kind of keep getting better and better you know because um, no, we're finishing you know when he said you're awful to murray i love the way he screwed his face up when he did that i know it's weird but just that little small bit of acting loved it <laughs> no no we could just talk forever about how many it's just like we haven't even talked about when he's on the the, the talk show itself properly and like or when he was in his living room just practicing entering yes. the talk show and all the, oh my god there's so much we could talk about but and he's run, he's this run the way he ran yeah so he runs yeah. with the clown shoes and yeah. then he runs it the same way in normal shoes it's just amazing <laughs> all these little touches oh god we could go all night with this basically go and watch um, it people and then watch it again <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do a sequel to this pod if we get enough time. Hang on, I've got a question for you before we end. Does he deserve the Oscar? Yes. I mean, I I don't really care about the Oscars that much because I don't think it's that indicative of quality because they just miss out. It's more of a popularity quest and like an almost like an election push for different things. Um, but. I mean, I can't think of too many more deserving people. And he's never won one before either, considering how many amazing performances he's given. Um, whether they'll do it or not, considering how controversial the film has been, I don't think they will. Um, but he should at least get nominated. So, uh, but to, to me, honestly, who cares? The film is, his performance talks for itself. Who cares about the Oscar at this point, you know? People around the world are really connecting with this film in a way that I think has shocked the media especially um and and it's wonderful to see that 
there's such an emotional resonance and and his performance is central to that he's the one who carries this film more than anything so bravo to Joaquin Phoenix and that's all we've got time for and uh you can catch me at Jessel TV J-E-S-A-L TV and uh yeah thank you very much this has been the Buzz Podcast and uh, I forgot to punch out <laughs> Network.